3: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS. That's R O T O H O O P S. When you deposit on DraftKings, they'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Tuesday, December 1st, the 1st of December. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer on the Tuesday RotoWire Fantasy Hoops Podcast, as always. DJ, Ten games in the NBA, excuse me, eight games. in NBA. I don't know what I'm looking at. Eight games in the NBA on Monday night. We'll go through and break down all of those like we usually do. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Tuesday's shorter slate, just six games tonight. Obviously, Lakers at Sixers, yeah, the baby. headliner. Philly, one-and-a-half point favorites right now. The, the 0-18 76ers are favored at home. The only game they're favored in the entire rest yeah. of the season. Most likely, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I guess uh, they'll meet again at some point, right? right back in LA but right. they're not favored well we'll see we'll see what happens right
2: now, and now and but yeah they don't even in... set
3: the lines for these games until like the day before I'm just saying don't count out the 76 uh, okay, yeah. the streak is coming
2: it's, it's an awfully short bandwagon yeah it, on right it now.
3: certainly is uh, especially with, with what happened over the weekend uh, with with Mr. Okafor maybe we'll talk about that a little bit but yeah Wizards at Cavs tonight that's the NBA TV early game a lot of people will be watching that I'm gonna keep an eye on Suns at Nets Um, We got Magic T-Wolves, Grizz Pelicans, and then the nightcap on NBA TV, Mavs at Trailblazers. So you know, maybe not as many marquee matchups tonight, but still uh, always a fun night in the association. But I want to ask you about your Thanksgiving. I mean, we're a couple days removed now. You've had some time to process everything that happened, all the food that you ate. How was it?
2: It was great. I went to my grandma's in Menominee, Wisconsin. Actually lived there for a year, so it was good getting back. I just forgot that my grandma like doesn't really have wireless internet, and when she does she only has like a very limited supply, so you can't just like whip out your laptop and spend two hours in front of it reading n b a articles or anything like that. So I just used an incredible amount of data on my phone. I think I used a month's worth probably this weekend, but came home with a full belly, still haven't eaten in a couple of days because I'm just trying to... <laughs> I hope you have. I, I mean, I've eaten a little <laughs> bit, but I don't. I don't know what your grandma's like, but I just get so incredibly stuffed that I literally just don't eat the day after I leave. I just can't do it. I'm just stuffed to my toes.
3: Yeah, I, you know, my grandma is a big big into like desserts i'm not really a big dessert guy uh if you listen to the pod with dvr last week i I made the confession that i don't like pie um so that's kind of a big component of the the whalen thanksgiving meal but she did make me my own personal bag of monster cookies because she knows I don't like pie, and she's a great grandma. So, <laughs> I unfortunately left those at my parents' house back in Green Bay. So, hopefully, uh, they'll still be still be fresh back when I when I come home for Christmas in a month. I think monster cookies tend to age pretty well, but no, it was great. Uh, my family doesn't really like sports much, so it was a a little bit of a challenge so you're for a black me. Black to- sheep because you like sports. No, I mean not necessarily. I have like a, a cousin who who goes to Iowa State, so I mean we talked about Iowa State football for like three minutes and oh, I said, said that all need all bless that was needed soul. to be said about that. My grandpa's pretty big into sports, but he's more of a you know college sports, even like local high school sports. So like there wasn't a lot of support to like, hey guys, we should probably keep on this Carolina Dallas game while we eat. You know, so I I missed part of that. I missed part of the Packers game because we were eating and uh i had i uh, kind of struggled to convince people like this brett Favre thing at halftime is kind of a big deal like hey sixth grade cousins can you please stop doing cartwheels in front of the tv uh things like that but did no it get, was a good time
2: did you get emotional with a the little brett Favre bit thing? i mean
3: i'm not to see when brett Favre was with green bay i was like a staunch anti-packers fan you know you know it's like when you're little you might think it's cool to like hate the team that everybody else likes so that oh, yeah. was me until like eighth grade um, and you know, still like the Jaguars, but I've come around in the Packers a lot. And whether you like Brett Favre or not, or the Packers or not, it's still a cool moment, especially with Bart Starr there, everything that he's gone through. So, unfortunately, Devonte Adams and and the rest of the Packers kind of squandered what was a fun night. But still, uh, I had a great I had a great weekend. I was glad glad to see my family, glad to see friends from back home, but certainly glad to be back in Madison and kind of back on the NBA train. It's hard to focus over the holiday weekend. You know, you got games Wednesday night as you're traveling and. Games Fridays you're traveling so like just like you I was scrambling to use as much data on my phone as possible uh, in the car riding back from from Minnesota but I think we kept up pretty well um, but do you want to get right into the games or do we have anything else to to touch on before we oh the coat yeah okay the coat. so over the weekend well. No, while- I, oh, I go guess ahead. if you I, want to frame let this, let me just
2: let me just. I'm not going to frame it much, but you know, the last day I saw Nick, it was uh, a Wednesday, and then I filmed that from, or no, rather a Tuesday, Wednesday. I was working from home, and that's why um, you know we filmed that pod, that extra special pod on Wednesday. But on Tuesday, I just saw this guy, this just like this interesting guy, leave the office, and there was a coat on him that had just kind of fur around the hooded part. And then this guy turned as he left the office, and I saw it was our own Nick Whalen. And I instantly just, you know, my face got red. I didn't know what to think of myself because I've associated myself with this guy before. I consider him a friend. I like him. I think he's funny. And that just turned my world upside down. Um, I understand we have some developments on that whole situation that you're working with now, though.
3: Yeah, I didn't. I can't even believe this is a situation, I guess. um, it Maybe a little little too fashion forward. Uh, for you guys, but no DVR. Yeah, I wore the coat to the office. It's cold here. Uh, wore it to the office today, and DVR. Uh, the great Derek Van Riper walked by my desk and just kind of pointed at it and laughed. Like what? Like is there? What's wrong with a guy wearing a coat that has fur around the hood? I, I've seen plenty of that going around. I, I didn't think twice about buying it. It was well, my mom actually bought it for me. Full disclosure, uh, she took me Christmas okay, shopping. Don't over bring the your weekend. mom
2: into this. No,
3: no. I mean, it, it wasn't like she was pushing the coat on me. I picked it out. Uh, I'm just, I just don't want to take credit from buying it in case she's listening. Uh but it was on sale at Macy's, great deal. I was happy to grab it. And no, I didn't think I didn't think the hood, the, you know, the fur on the hood would be controversial at all. I've I've had I've had coats with fur on the hood before. They're comfortable, they're warm. You know, it's it's faux fur if that matters if you're like an animal rights person, if that's what you're getting on my case about, but no, I think it's fine and I will I'm not going to stop wearing it, that's for sure.
2: Okay. So, I think that me and DVR can maybe come to a resolution that it's fine if you just wear it and it's just kind of hanging out on your back. But at any point when you're wearing this coat, do you put it up over your face so the fur is just kind of like no, clouding no, no. your face? I wish I could. The hood so is gonna actually – you're going to draw the line there.
3: Well, I would, but the the hood is actually pretty big and, like, you know, I have a, a normal size head and it, like, dwarfs my head. And, like, basically <laughs> I tried wearing it because it was windy yesterday when I walked home. And, uh, yeah, basically the hood is, like, so large that it catches wind and just blows off anyway. <laughs> so if I can maybe find a way to, like, strap it or tape it around my head, I might do that. But – no, I, I, you know, I'm not going to back down. I like this coat quite a bit, and just that's that.
2: Hey, I got to say, like a guy that sticks to his guns more than a guy that wears a fur coat. So I'll, uh, I'll stick with you, Nick. But just know that I'm a, a tiny what bit ashamed. What kind of ashamed. coat do you have? Uh, North Face, just regular sleek. You know, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to make any statements. I'm just trying to stay warm. I don't know what you're doing.
3: I ha It's not like I like went out and was like, I need this coat. It was my other coat. The zipper literally broke off the coat, and I couldn't, I couldn't close it anymore. Uh, and as soon as I mentioned that to my mom, it was like we're going to the mall and getting you a coat now. You know how mothers are. So, no, I'll see if I can find a picture of the coat and like tweet it out or something. Yeah, and no, get, what like, you a need to do like,
2: is yep get the poll on Twitter. We need to get some feedback from the people. Did you lose respect for Nick no. after this? Um, I think you'll be shocked
3: how many people have coats with fur out in the hood.
2: Yeah, people from out of the woodworks. The the fur coat people are just going to yeah, come I, out and I don't know. I just here. Okay, here's the last thing uh, I'll say, and I just feel like. You know, it was more of a thing like 10 years ago than it is today. Was it? I just, you know, back... 10 years ago,
3: people our age were wearing like starter jackets with a huge pocket in the front. We're
2: getting old, man. I think that was more like 18 to 20 years ago. Yeah,
3: maybe. Yeah, probably. Either way, it's a nice coat, and I can't believe that it's caused the backlash that it has already. And I guess things can only go, can spiral out more out of control from here. Uh, But let's get into the games. Let's stop berating my fashion choices we'll start with nuggets bucks uh that's the first one that that i have listed because of course you know the bucks are listed as a as a team on my on my espn account so it automatically jumps them to the top so we'll start with them bucks 92 denver 74 milwaukee avenging uh, an earlier loss to denver a game which this is you know talking a couple weeks ago they were in control through the first half and denver just onslaught in the second half milwaukee entering this game uh was the i think they were top 15 in first half scoring and last in second half scoring in the league last in third quarter scoring last in fourth quarter scoring obviously that's going to aggregate and be last in second half scoring so a team that struggled a ton in the second half but they outscored denver uh by 16 in the second half in this one and you know the nuggets got down and this was pretty much over early in the fourth quarter with the way milwaukee was playing uh pretty big game for michael carter williams maybe his his best game of the season. He's coming off the bench now. Kid shifted both him and Jabari Parker to the bench for Sunday's game against Charlotte. Stuck with that um, on Monday night. Carter Williams finished with 12 points, three blocks, three steals, nine assists, six rebounds. So kind of the all-around type performances that we used to see when he was back with the 76ers. Obviously, those were kind of empty performances in a lot of ways, but he's a guy that you know, with that six-six frame, those long arms, he's pretty quick for his size. It's not really surprising to see him get those steals and blocks numbers. I mean, three blocks from the point guard spot is huge, obviously. But the nine assists, I think, are what what people want to see from Carter Williams. 12 points, whatever. I, I think the scoring from him is just kind of a bonus at this point. Sure. Um, you know, you hope maybe he gets a couple offensive rebounds with that size and, and a putback, gets to the lane every now and then. He's been hitting his floaters all right. Still has shown no improvement as a jump shooter, and that's a big issue. But... I mean, these are the type of games they need from him. Just kind of do a little bit of everything instead of trying to do too much.
2: Right. And last night was the first time that he had played at least 30 minutes in seven games. And that's troubling in all facets uh, of daily fantasy, of season-long fantasy. You're seeing Jared Bayless, who's basically moved into the starting point guard role, and he's seeing consistently at least thirty three minutes a night. Finally Michael Cardo Williams pulls out. What we know he can do. I mean, his very first game ever as an NBA player was uh, you know, close to a triple double or was it a triple double with the seventy sixers? I think I f- it might have been. I forget that now. just seems
3: wild, but it's very possible.
2: Well I know, but like you say, Nick, you like to say empty stats and that's essentially what he did in uh Philadelphia. If you're looking at this from a daily fantasy or even season long I think that at some point, Carter Williams will earn the starting role back over at, at some point during the year. Obviously, they get a nice win, 92-74 over the Nuggets, but I think that Bayliss's minutes and Carter Williams' minutes are just going to be fluid throughout the season. And so right now, we're seeing Bayless get a bunch of minutes, but there was a time in mid-November when he was only seeing 19-25 minutes, and so things can change. I don't want anybody out there to put like an incredible amount of stock in either one of these guys, really. I think it's divvied up where they're almost just co-point guards together and maybe them each seeing right around 30 minutes is what's probably going to take place. If you're looking at um, Denver, I heard a lot of flack for the the starting five, or not the starting five, but the five they were running at the end of the game. It was something like Gallinari, Jokic, um, was it Darrell Arthur, and then
3: D'Arth, yeah, yeah.
2: And then Will Barton. And for some reason, it just did not work out well for them. Kenneth Reed, a little disappointing. I think he put up forty DraftKings points against the Bucks last time out. This time around, he only gets eleven points, seven rebounds. I know I used him and got burned on that. But you know, Nick, you kind of shook your head there when I said that Carter Williams won't necessarily, or that you know that he would move into the starting lineup again. Do you think that he's firmly on the bench for now or the rest of the season? How do you see this shaking out?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, firmly for now, I guess it's kind of the way I would put it. Honestly, you don't know. I mean, kid is kid has not really been shy to mix up his starting lineups dating back to being in the last year. There's really no one on this team who you can really look at and say there's no way you can move him out of the starting lineup. And I think you know, Giannis and Middleton, I guess, are probably the two that are that are most solidly in there. But no, I think he'll continue to make tweaks if if he if he sees necessary. And you know, this convincing win over. Probably not a very good Denver team, but it was a, pretty much a must-win game for the Bucs, who'd lost six of seven coming into this one and just needed something to get back on track. Um, I think they'll stick with it for now. I, I think, ideally, they don't want to bring Carter Williams off the bench. You know That was never really the intent, and they certainly don't want to bring Jabari Parker off the bench. I don't think this is necessarily seen as like a wake up call for Parker as much as maybe it is for for Carter Williams. I think with Jabari they just kind of want to get him. I mean he played 26 minutes, you know, that's kind of where he, right where he's been as a starter too. And I don't think that was ever much of a worry as far as his role diminishing when he's off the bench. I think they just kind of wanted to see him in different groupings, maybe give him when he's out there with guys like Henson, um you know even Carter Williams in that second unit and Johnny O'Brien, guys like that. He's able to maybe be a little more assertive than he is when he's out there with Giannis. And Middleton and Bayless and Monroe, guys who who take a couple more shots. So, I'm not really too worried about that. It is it is odd though. You know, you, you, we look at Jabari Parker as this future superstar in waiting type of guy. You know, number one franchise scorer going forward. But how many of those guys get benched? You know, midway through their second year. So it's a little it's a little curious. But at the same time, kid has like I said, he sh- he has a history of making moves like this, and I think. I think it'll maybe last four or five games. They'll see how it works. At some point, Parker's going to be back in the starting lineup. I don't think this is where they see him long-term.
2: I don't mind him coming off the bench, obviously, the way you view it, and I think most people view it. He needs to start. I kind of like him coming off the bench, um, especially if he's only slotted for 24 to 28 minutes a night. I think that's more suited off the bench if you play Giannis at the four and, of course, Monroe at the at the five. Middle, or O.J. Mayo comes in with a plus 23 last night. Somewhat surprising there he has his ups and downs. he only scores nine points, uh, one assist, two steals, four rebounds. So in terms of fantasy, even though he's seeing thirty minutes a game, he's a guy that maybe one out of five games he'll be a viable option on draftkings or anywhere else
3: yeah, I mean he's a guy you really can't trust at all. It's kind of like a you know if there's a, sh- a short slate of games and you need you need somebody to fill out that utility spot or that second shooting guard spot. Maybe you you hope that he has a 20-point game because he is capable of that. But, you know, most nights I think this is what we're going to see, somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes, you know, somewhere between 8 and 15 points, a couple assists, a couple of rebounds. Not really the guy with the high ceiling that he used to be his first few years in the league, that's for sure.
2: Definitely. We can move on. I think I've I've said my piece about the
3: Bucks. Yeah, I'm now. trying to think if I have anything else. I, I did watch this game, I think, no, not much. You know, I, I tweeted last week that Will Barton is one of those guys who'll always defend and, you know, rational or irrational. Ten points, six rebounds, Blayton with. Nah, excuse me, made both of his three pointers. Love to see that. Kenneth Reed, like you said, he was off this game. I don't I mean, he's never been a guy with great touch, but there were like three or four times where he was cutting to the rim or, you know, diving on a on some sort of slice to the rim and just threw the ball off the backboard or just, just very you know, lack of touch. He reminded me of like in high school the, the kid who's like a wrestler but would would show up to open gym and just like try super hard but with yeah. no touch around the rim and that's kind of what he is at this point but he did he did have that big performance against Milwaukee earlier in the year they Milwaukee's such a bad rebounding team and Denver was able to kill them on that when they played a few weeks ago but not really the case just 10 offensive rebounds for Denver which is more than you'd like to allow but when you're getting eight if you're the Bucks and you can only have a minus two offensive rebound differential like at this point in the season that is excellent considering where they're at so I think that last
2: year last off season not this past one but 2 of them ago uh, when we had the was it the NBA Olympic team or FIBA World Championships, or whatever it was for the u s
3: oh FIBA right,
2: yeah, and so I think we were really quick to anoint Kenneth Farid as going to have a breakout season last year, and it just didn 't happen we you know he was in the spotlight during the off season this is going to be the jump for him he 's coming into his fifth season in the league, but he 's incredibly inconsistent and he hasn 't had a double uh, double double since November thirteenth and even then he usually is in that low double double category, and so when we say his name, you know, we think, you know, he's a beast out there in Denver. He's a beast. And then you look at his numbers, and he's not actually producing at a rate where we where we thought he would. He's actually averaging this out of his five years. This is his third, um, third worst or third best, however you look at it. Um, points per game, 12.2, 8.7 rebounds. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. But we all thought he would be more. I mean, at least better than he was in his third year in the league when he's averaging 13.7 and 8.6.
3: Yeah, yeah, certainly that's for sure. Houston and Detroit as the Rockets continue. To, I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on with this team. Zuck. They're not a good team, that's for sure. Uh, Pistons one sixteen, Rockets one o five. James Harden, uh, kind of the typical James Harden game at this point. Fifteen of seventeen from the line, six of fifteen from the field. Did only attempt four three pointers though, and this is a guy who's been you know routinely eight, nine, ten. Uh, per game nine rebounds seven assists two steals for him so did a little bit of everything but it just wasn't enough I mean no one else really uh, came through for Houston Dwight Howard another concerningly quiet game from him just eight points ten rebounds did have four blocks but I think they need to get Dwight more involved and maybe you know maybe I'm underestimating how limited he might be by these knee and back issues that have kind of accumulated over the last couple of years but I mean, he has been nowhere near the the Dwight that they need him to be to actually be a legitimate contender. I mean, he was so good in the playoffs last year, and that just hasn't quite carried over.
2: Right, and you would think it's like a pseudo-revenge game going up against Van Gundy or something that he'd have something to prove. They didn't end things well in Orlando, and that if he's ever going to show up, this would be the type of game. Remember, Nick, was it a couple months ago when it came out that he, last year in the playoffs, he was playing with like, Torn ligaments in his knee. Yeah. We were all dogging him for his hustle, blah blah blah. You, ne- it just goes to show you. I really took a step back when I heard that and realized you really can't dog a guy for his effort because you don't know um, what's going on with him. We just don't know. I mean, a, a torn ligaments in your knee, and yeah. and we're dogging him, and the entire media scene is dogging him.
3: Right, and you know, I don't know if there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of sentiment that Dwight's like not trying or anything like that. It just seems like they're not integrating him enough. I mean. If you look over his last what is it one two three four five six seven eight games he's he's attempted more than eight shots just once in that span and I mean how many of those are probably alley oops tip-ins, things like that yeah I've been i haven't watched all these shots but I mean he's never been a great one on one dump it down let him work type of guy but he's been he's gotten considerably better you know since the end of those Orlando days I mean we, like we saw in the playoffs you know that swooping hook is at least passable and you know he's still stronger than just about anybody that he faces off against it's just It's odd, you know. I I think I think the Rockets are still maybe a little bit too perimeter oriented right now.
2: Well, I don't understand why there's not more pick and roll um, action with James Harden and with Ty Lawson. Like when Ty Lawson was coming over, it's like, wow, Dwight Howard. They just might might as well do that every time down the court. Like you've got two incredible guys, passing options for the pick and roll, and it just doesn't seem to be working at all. Like I'm almost looking at Clint Capella and saying, I like Clint Capella now more than I like Dwight Howard at this point in terms of. Um, production which which sounds crazy what do you think yeah. about playing both of them on the floor at the same time
3: I think it's it's somewhat of a desperation move exactly. I feel like you know I mean that this this Houston team and whatever they predicated on the last few years was having Dwight in the middle and then four shooters around and letting Harden kind of dictate where that goes almost in a LeBron type of way where you know it's like let Harden go one on one. Let him probe a little bit and let him kick. And he, he's gotten so much better as a passer that he's able to kind of sling it around and find the open shooters. So, I mean, part of the reason is you got guys like Trevor Ariza shooting one for nine from the field, not making any three pointers. Uh, Terrence Jones one for five. You know, things like that. Uh, they add up after a while if you're just not making shots. But yeah, like you said, when you have a guy like Dwight Howard and even Clint Capella when they're both on the court together, two bouncy guys who have great size, just it's a little bit baffling how they. I you know, aren't able to to put this together right now I mean scoring 105 points against the Detroit team that's not great defensively and allowing 116 points that's maybe the bigger issue I mean you look at 32 points allowed in the fourth quarter for both teams really I mean this was this was a blowout um, until Houston made a run really in the third quarter I mean this was a, a 20 point game plus uh, at halftime so the Rockets have problems big problems I don't know if you know, I don't know if bringing in JB Bickerstaff or, or rather firing McHale and promoting JB Bickerstaff is the right answer. I guess we need to give him some more time, but I, I don't know. Do you think when they fired McHale, they were hoping that it would just kind of be one of those instant, like you know, flip the switch and you know maybe they'll re- start responding better? Because that doesn't seem to have been the case whatsoever.
2: Yeah, I think that's what it was. Do you know what JB stands for, by the way?
3: I don't. John Blair. John Blair. Interesting. John Blair. Yeah would not have guessed that.
2: Um, yeah, me too. I thought well, we say it so many times. i just curious. So yeah, to answer your question, I thought it would be maybe like a player's coach. JB has been in the league for a long time because his dad was a longtime tenured coach in the NBA. Maybe just the players feeling like they have more freedom to do whatever they want would help too, especially when you have this much talent on the team, Like court, you know, after a while, like these guys know what they should be doing. Harden knew why they were successful last year. Howard has been along long enough. He knows what's effective. What's not effective. Same with Trevor Reza, Patrick Beverly, you can consider him a veteran. They really don't have a lot of young guys, uh, Marcus, or Montrez Harrell but Marcus Thornton, Ty Lawson, these are all guys that know what they should be doing on the court and so to answer your question explicitly Nick yes I thought it would just be a big motivation to get Kevin McHale out of there it hasn't worked out it turns out there's just a larger motivation issue with this team that maybe one year of failing and getting made fun of and being ashamed of will, will mediate for next season but at this point I, there's like not really a lot of hope for them this year
3: I mean, the hope lies in the fact that it's December 1st, I guess, and, you know, there's plenty of time. I think that the model for that is, like, look at Cleveland last year. You know, If your hope lies in a
2: date, uh, like a calendar date, then you've got big problems.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have big problems. I'm also saying they have plenty of time still. I mean, like, other than Golden State, I think they're benefiting from the fact that, oh, I guess San Antonio you can throw in that category. Like, no one's really, like— the the top of the west isn't as isn't as crazy good as people maybe thought it would be you know teams like the rockets themselves the clippers the grizzlies kind of getting off to slower starts like they're not buried in this like massive hole where they can't recover so i think that plays to their benefit i think at some point when you have james harden you can't you you can't play like this for an 82 game sample i think at some point they don't maybe they won't necessarily figure it out and and be back to where they were last year but i think i think the, the window hasn't closed on them being a playoff team or anything like that so you know not quite panic time but I mean, this is about as bad as the season could have started considering the expectations and considering the guys on this team. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Looking at their upcoming schedule, um, so they they play tomorrow. They are, they're home to New Orleans, at Dallas, home to Sacramento, at Brooklyn, at Washington, home to the Lakers, at Denver. So, I mean, a pretty easy stretch coming up. And Even if you want to look further into December, after that Denver game, they go at Sacramento, at the Lakers. So I mean, if this is if there's a time to turn it around, you know I guess it's now. You know that at Dallas, that game doesn't look as easy as it did three or four weeks ago, and you know. But other than that, that's that's by far the toughest game in this stretch. So even if they can come out of this at you know what would it be seven and three or something like that, I think that would be a huge huge win and, and kind of get this team going in the right direction.
2: The most important thing for really any sports team is to get hot when it matters, which is at the end of the season. So if they can linger around. Get a six through eight seed. You never know what happens. I mean, you just never know what happens. So I, I won't completely write them off. I know it was kind of sounding like I was, but if they make the playoffs, there's always hope. And with this roster, there's certainly hope that they'll continue to go on even further. Looking at Detroit, Nick, they also have a nice homestand coming up. They've already made their West Coast trip. They've been on the road quite a bit. I think they're spending like 15 of the next 18 nights in-home in Detroit, Um, and so look for them at a 9-9 record right now to maybe get a boost at home. I would be cautious of Stanley Johnson. He absolutely went off, 19 points, 10 rebounds. He's one of, I think, five or six rookies that have totaled a double-double this year. Um, He was amazing on DraftKings. He was actually one of the highest-scoring people you could have had last night. However, In the fourth quarter, Coach Van Gundy said that he thought Johnson gave up almost all thirty two of their fourth quarter points. So that's that looks like he's gonna be headed for the bench in the fourth quarter in future games. So even though he had that great offensive production, just be careful that he's still a rookie and Van Gundy actually wasn't happy with his performance following the game, at least on the defensive end.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing with you know, with rookies in general and especially with a coach like Van Gundy, it's you know, Stanley Johnson probably could have scored thirty points and it wouldn't have mattered because he didn't play d and but yeah still i mean just the nineteen ten two two blocks and assist and a steal for him I mean, this, this kid still looks good when he's given the opportunity especially offensively but um yeah it sounds like he'll probably have to earn his stripes a little bit more before we see more of this boston 105 miami 95 uh one of the one of the more interesting results tonight but dwayne wade turning back the clock 30 points for him four rebounds four assists five steals had a couple of dunks. You feel like you don't see D Wade dunks. He had one of his the, the signature kind of swoop. You know, swoop the ball right, drive baseline, and dunk reverse as he's kind of going the other way. I'm sure I'm explaining that terribly, well, but if you can I, see the highlight, I mean, it's it's like 08 Wade in the flesh.
2: <laughs> That's great and awesome for people who went with them or who have them, but you just don't know when to expect that. And I'm not going to be the guy that's trying to pick when that's going to happen or when it's not going to happen. So I'm still going to stay away. He is going to have many more of these performances, but we've seen knee issues. We've seen ankle issues. We've seen migraine issues throughout his career. Not only him just slowing down on the hole, but injury issues have caused me to stay away and I'll continue to do it. But kudos to him for putting up a great performance.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's not somebody you can really trust in almost any format these days. I mean, daily, you know, he's price isn't overly high but he still kind of gets the superstar pricing you know that Kobe is still subject to at this point I think Kobe's the second highest priced shooting guard on FanDuel well
2: tonight. the the thing is that um and I'm sure he's the same on DraftKings too whereas just there's not a lot of good shooting guards in the league period you look at any slated games for daily you've got Jimmy Butler you've got Klay Thompson um, is it Eric Bledsoe or is it Brandon Knight? Either one of those who are usually on the shooting guard. I think Bledsoe's usually shooting. Yeah. Guards. So Bledsoe, uh, I mean, other than that, on a given night, you just don't have a lot of shooting guard options. And so that's it's, where you usually have to find your value. It's
3: kind of weird. You know, since Kobe's decline, you know, maybe starting in like 2009, 2010, and that's maybe a little early, but the shooting guard position is just not really reloaded quite as much. I mean, you have Harden, but you know, with with Wade and Kobe, kind of where they're at right now, it's, It's a little bit of Harden and everyone else. And it depends how you classify guys like Paul George, Andrew Wiggins, you know, whatever. But it's, yeah, it is odd how that, that position, I feel like used to dominate a lot more in like the, the early 2000s, you know, the, the ball dominant shooting guard, as opposed to the, you know, the orchestrating point guard or the, the point. Now it's more of a point forwards league, you know, your Durants, your LeBrons, your Paul Georges. So yeah, it's interesting to see how that, how that kind of ebbs and flows. And it's also interesting to me how Dwayne Wade has been so good for so long without ever being a, a three point shooter.
2: Yeah, that's it's incredible, crazy. isn't it?
3: Like, I mean, he's been like a legitimately bad three-point shooter for most of his career, <laughs> and is still going to go down as the top five shooting guard of all time.
2: That's cr- yeah, that's crazy. That's like Demar Derozan too. I guess is like <laughs> the next coming of that where he takes a lot of long-distance shots, but they're not. Derozan of are
3: three- DeRozan's splits are even more insane. I think over his rookie year, he attempted like just just weird like total numbers. Like rookie year, he attempted sixteen three-pointers. Second year, fifty-two. Third year, <laughs> ninety-two. Hundred twenty. 210 in 13 14 and then back down to 88 last season. Like he's just kind of kind of in Giannis territory in a lot of ways. Just doesn't have the confidence whatsoever to shoot him.
2: Yeah, and so in continuing with the shooting guard, yeah, he's basically the second coming of that where he actually kind of hurts you cuz you need to be getting three pointers yeah. out of that shooting guard spot especially in season-long right. leagues. Uh, but we always used to say like, you know, how good is Kobe? Is he top five? Is he the best Laker ever. And like, we can all agree that he's one of the top two shooting guards of all time. And now you say that and it's just like completely hollow. Like it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Best shooting guard yeah. of all time.
3: I don't know. I think if, if we're talking all time, there's so many names you can bring let up. Let me, then.
2: let me throw you some of the starting shooting guards who are actually in the top 15, maybe, or, you know, 15 to 20 range. Rodney Hood, Danny Green, Ben McMor, CJ McCollum. All
3: time or is this just yeah? No,
2: this is just this year. <laughs> Evan Fournier, Roberson, Aflalo, Gordon, yeah, yeah. Martin, Mayo. Like these are just this is what we have for shooting guard these days. Um, it's just not
3: the same spot it used to be. And so if you're a top fifteen shooting guard, it means nothing really yeah I mean that's true I guess and I feel like power forward uh, you know we're kind of in a golden age of of good power forwards and and point guards for sure and and even centers at this point with the emergence of some guys like Gobert and Whiteside who have been so much better than anybody expected but not
2: as much as power forward but I think maybe
3: you can make that case for sure Right? I mean there's teams that have like three or four like really good power forwards I think
2: the 90s like the early 90s late 80s was probably the golden age of centers in terms of just like where everyone knew everyone else's center on the team because they were just like nasty guys who could rebound for you throw some elbows
3: down low um, yeah I mean it's certainly not valued the way that a way it, that it used to be um yeah I mean I don't know I mean you just it's it's hard you just don't have guy like the the great era of of shooting guards I guess like we said are kind of moving on like your Paul Pierce and you know even Iverson I think was probably more of a shooting guard than a point guard oh, even though he had the size of a point guard um but yeah I mean they'll retool at some point I mean. The loss of Tracy McGrady to injury, I think, is what really set this off. You know, the kids just didn't have anyone to emulate anymore. Well, I tell you
2: what, if you look at any YMCA, if you look at any rec center, everybody's a shooting guard out there. So we'll have the next coming of shooting guards. There's ebbs and flows, just like the talk about, like, should you seed – uh the nba as a total for the playoffs the eastern conference will be strong in 10 years and then we'll be saying the same thing about the west same thing with shooting guards ebbs and flows don't overreact on just a five-year basis
3: speaking of rec centers and tracy mcgrady real quickly yes. I, I went to a local gym i guess with one of my friends he he has like a membership to this it's like a club gym thing whatever and he's like hey, princeton I got, Club. it was a princeton club yeah and uh and he's like hey i got this free pass if you just want to come play basketball for the day i was like yeah whatever i'll go. And we're playing against this guy, and he's wearing like a – you know, like when Kenyon Martin was in college, he wore like a cutoff T-shirt that was like cut off like mid-bicep basically. It was just like a – like why even bother cutting it off? Just a weird cut. So he had one of those. LeVance Fields from Pittsburgh always stands out as somebody who used to wear that too. Uh, and underneath it, he was wearing a Tracy McGrady like throwback magic jersey, like the black pinstripe one underneath like just a plain gray cutoff. And then you could see, you know, the sleeves were cut a little bit deeper. So I'm like, like is that a Tracy McGrady jersey in there? He's like – Hell yeah, wear it under everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, why would you have to just wear it over this? Like, it's not like it was super small or anything. Like, just whatever. And yeah, that was that. I mean, that was kind of our, that was our talk. I didn't really have any further questions.
2: The spirit is within him. You know, sometimes it's not about uh, outward expression; it's about inward reflection. That's right, and that's certainly the case with this uh, this fellow. Apparently,
3: yeah. Another quick Trace McGrady tidbit. While we're on the subject, We could go I'm all day. I'm just sitting down, you can crisscross do applesauce podcast. Sauce. So, I have a summer birthday. I always like to tell the story because it makes my mom <laughs> sound cool and she is cool. But I have uh, Mom's getting a lot
2: of run on today's so Yeah, I don't know.
3: think she listens to the pod, but she might have to start. Um, but in fifth grade, you know, it was, it was cool to like bring in treats for your birthday. Yeah. Or, you know, back in the day, it, it became like increasingly like once you get to like eighth grade, you wanted other people to bring food in, whatever. You don't want to bring your own. But in fifth grade, I was like, oh, it's my birthday. I get to bring treats. Great. Well, my birthday is in mid July. So, school was never in session during my birthday. So, on May 24th, uh which happens to be tracy mcgrady's birthday my mom like surprised me and brought in like ice cream for the entire class and everybody's like whose birthday is it and <laughs> i was like it's not my birthday why are you here She's like it's tracy mcgrady's birthday i looked it up and <laughs> brought in cupcakes and ice cream for everybody so to this day like i like just being home this weekend you know i talk to people i haven't talked to in forever and like people still bring that up every now and then like Oh, how's your mom doing? I remember when she brought in cupcakes for T Mac's birthday. Like all these like <laughs> girls from my fifth grade class who like don't follow the NBA at all, just know of Tracy McGrady for that reason. So, yeah the 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 legacy of Tracy McGrady runs very very deeply in the Whalen family.
2: Oh, that just makes me so happy. Like nothing <laughs> bad can happen to me today. I love, think, I love thinking of thinking of thinking about to get cornrows. And oh yeah, fantasizing about Tracy McGrady. Did you like Yao Ming just as much? No, 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 no. Really? I
3: no, I was like. I was kind of – I was maybe a little xenophobic when it came to Yao back then. I don't know. I just I, – I thought he kind of – I liked Shaq a lot. I was like – because there was always – remember how big it was, like, Shaq versus Yao, China versus America or whatever, <laughs> and, like – China versus LSU. Well, it was yes. I'm making, I'm making it sound like it was like a communist thing. Like, no, it wasn't at all. But it was like, no, I like Shaq. You can't like both. You have to pick pick one or the other. And now like, Yao just seems like a cool guy. I don't oh, know him obviously yeah. at all, but he just seems like a cool dude now. I think they both seem like cool guys, so I, I like him now. I just when he first came into the league, he was like this big imposter that I was like he, he'll never unseat Shaq. Shaq's the best. And you know, unfortunately, injuries derailed his career and what would have been multiple multiple titles for that T Mac Yao uh mid-2000s rocket squad
2: yeah unfortunately like ming had a fantastic career as we're gonna i don't think i've ever heard
3: anyone call him ming (laughs) (laughs) it's like calling nene hilario yeah
2: yeah i've done that before on this podcast a couple years ago so i'm gonna stay true to that um (laughs) was it marbury that crossed him over in the league I'm sure, or like his did. like when he was a rookie and he just got absolutely crossed over and that's unfortunately is the lasting impression of his career in my mind even though he had a really solid career my that lasting didn't...
3: impression was like after he like he was hurt for like the last like three or four years of his career you know he kept suffering those recurring injuries yeah. like he would always like run away with the all-star vote to like start yes. at center in the west and it was like <laughs> technically like Shaq was an injury replacement or whatever because Yao would just dominate the voting like it was kind of like Jeremy Lin almost got an all-star bid a few years ago for the NBA kind of stepped in there and put the kibosh on that but uh yeah i mean shout out to yao ming hopefully he's listening today yeah here's the crossover nick oh yeah it's dirty oh wow yao is currently on the ground the oh jeez we got to get back on track yeah i wish we could show the video on the podcast unfortunately that's not how podcasts work (laughs) but uh it's good to see sean marion out there with that great form hitting the jumper hey this will be simulcasted soon enough
2: we've got your crazy jackets your vests and
3: and my just mediocre fashion sense in general. So, <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next game. Thunder 100, Hawks 106. Um, the Hawks led for most of this one. Uh, they are up big in the first quarter. OKC made it a little bit tighter in the second, but the Hawks pretty much in control for a lot of the second half. OKC had their chances at the end. Russell Westbrook uh, missed out in a couple shots down the stretch. Kind of a, a typical Russ. This is one of those games that you watch and you think, you know the thunder are the better team you know Atlanta's a good team but you know the thunder are better you know they didn't play terribly but it's one of those games that makes you think like Russ you're 11 of 24 from the field you're 1 of 5 from 3 six turnovers making questionable decisions <laughs> down the stretch while KD is playing really well it's just i don't know i'm i'm a big proponent of KD and Russ together but this is one of those games that if you're not a KD plus Russ fan this is one that you point to and say maybe KD should have had the ball a little bit more down the stretch
2: And that happens often. It's hard. Like, if you love uh, Westbrook for his killer instinct and his always wanting the ball and making things happen, it just doesn't go away. Like, he just doesn't lose that on a given night when he should lose it. It's just just a mentality that he always has, and he can't shake it. And so when you're sitting there like I have many times throughout the league saying – Come on, Russ. Just give it to KD. Like, he's got a 5-inch advantage, and plus he's, like, one of the best shooters in the league. And it just doesn't happen. Unfortunately, you know, as a Thunder fan, I'm starting to get a little disappointed at other people's stats lines. So, Abaka obviously comes in with 17 points. But you're looking at Steven Adams with 0 points. Roberson, 5 points. Morrow, 10 points off the bench. Canner six off the bench. And let me be clear here. It's not because those guys' lack of effort. It's because of Durant's and Westbrook's inability to get them facilitated in a similar way that Steph Curry would or that LeBron James was. Charles Barkley has the best take on this situation, is that good players make the players around them better, and this is incredibly clear with Durant and Westbrook where it just doesn't happen like it does for other people on other teams. Tristan Thompson is not that good. Timofei Mozgov, not that good. J.R. Smith is shining, and it's because of LeBron.
3: Right, it is. And LeBron's in his own category with this kind of stuff, but he also doesn't have another superstar next to him. You know, like I mean, these the, Kyrie. Yeah, well, not right now. Kevin Love. Not right. I mean, but they Kevin had the Love same problems. Love was the best center in the league for like four years. Yeah, but they had problems integrating, and they took a whole year. And obviously, I know we're going on year what five or six of these guys together, and it's still an issue. But I don't know. I mean, it's not like it's not like Kyrie, Love, and LeBron are all having like double doubles every single night. I think it's just kind of how it works. But I mean, I mean you can't get everybody involved in every night. I mean, Serge Ibaka, 17 points, Durant, 25, Westbrook, 34. Like, Morrow took 12 shots. He had some open three-pointers. Just didn't hit him. I I don't know. I'm not that worried about it. I think there's just so much. There's only so much you can do. You know, like, the Spurs maybe set, like, an unrealistic template for this where, you know, seven guys are in double figures every night, and I just don't know if that's realistic. You're building around two of the most ball-dominant players, two of the most, two of the five most dominant scorers in the league, and they're gonna get theirs first, and I think you're usually fine with that.
2: Yeah. Maybe in a playoff situation, but throughout the year, I don't know. It's it's tough because injuries have clouded what they could have done more than anything. And so maybe I'm just bickering over, you know, things when they really are better. We're sitting with eleven and seven record. So obviously they know how to win games, but I just I don't know. I'm just I'm just fearful when you come across teams like the Spurs, you put Kawhi Leonard on Durant and maybe he shuts them down. And then you know I don't know we'll see, we'll see what happens but it, it's just amazing that Ibaka is get 17 points on a given night like I'm surprised now when other players on the team get to double digit points for the Thunder just because there's just not a lot of opportunities.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know man. I think you watch more Thunder than I do, so I'm I'm certainly not going to encroach on that at all. I just think you're you'll take your chances with these two most of the time. You know, I mean. It, it's hard to fault Westbrook Just for a 34, me complain 11, about a really seven. good basketball
2: team in peace. Nick.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, the argument then is like, I mean, Westbrook was minus two last night. Durant was neutral. You got Anthony Morrow was plus 19. And, you know, single game plus minus is, is kind of, you know, you can poke holes in that all day. But I don't know. I think, I think we have established that this core is good enough to be a legitimate contender when they're healthy and— games like this happen I don't know I mean the the Cavaliers lost to the Bucks and the Pistons a couple weeks ago it, it just is what it is
2: uh one thing about the Hawks they're this is not a super exciting team for me because they're so reliable and trustworthy and they do spread the ball around but Paul Millsap I think he, if we could go back in time he'd be a first round option for me because he helps out all over the if he wasn't always already, underrated and like always I'm so guilty
3: of that every year I'm just like ah he just can't keep doing this Kenny and he does. He does. I was,
2: and I was saying this last night when uh, DVR, um, we were going over lineups. And he's like, "Any Hawks?" And I'm like, "Ah, just they spread the ball too much. Don't like it." And I'm like, "They hardly ever get guys that you know put up good daily performances." And I looked at Paul Millsap, and it's like, "Oh my gosh!" I was, com-. not only was I wrong, but he just—I say this every year—he's so surprising. He's one of the most valuable fantasy options out there. His name is Paul Millsap. Go find out who he is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it, that is kind of the the catch with this team is that when they do spread it around so much. I mean, you had four of the five starters in double figures. Cephalosha is kind of the you know, the odd man out there, a guy who doesn't take a lot of shots. But there's not, like, the high-end potential. You know, like, without Horford, you're going to get 20 and 10, but you might never get 35 and 15. You know, like, you might and, get with a guy like Cousins or and something And that's like what that. I was trying
2: to tell DVR last night. But in terms of daily fantasy points, that's not the case. I mean, they are putting up those points because Millsap had – a three-pointer, he had four blocks, a steal, five assists, and only three turnovers. And so, you know, they never, I don't know, like, we're on the same page here, Nick, they're never going to break out and just have a world-beater performance of 40 points or 35 points, like you said. But in terms of a box score, in terms of racking up daily fantasy points, Paul Millsap is elite, Horford, their floors are also high, basically. Yeah, exactly, and
3: that's the thing, it's, you know, if you're looking at it from a daily fantasy perspective— you want to kind of insulate your lineup with some of these guys instead of making them the focal point of your lineup. Especially
2: on 50-50 games. Like, it,
3: your go-to for 50-50 games are Atlanta Hawks players, basically. Yes, exactly. Bulls 92, Spurs 89. Um, off night for the San Antonio offense. They shoot just 41%. Um, pretty clean game overall though just kind of a good old-fashioned defensive battle something we haven't seen quite as much from Chicago this year but uh you know playing games in the high 80s low 90s not a lot of turnovers for either side and not a messy game at all just just good defense really and slower pace game and that's kind of how the Spurs have have run this year but big game from Marcus Aldridge 21 and 12 for him excuse me Kawhi Leonard who continues to you know silently just assassinate everybody <laughs> 25 points eight rebounds three assists two steals which is just becoming a run-of-the-mill line for him Tim Duncan just six points but 12 rebounds and a block looking at the Chicago side no real huge performances I mean you get 18 and 13 with a with a few assists and oh, I guess three blocks for Pau Gasol so a very very solid performance there Derek Rose struggled five of 17 got burned a couple times by Tony Parker in this game uh, that that was well publicized on Twitter um i don't i don't know i mean we we can talk about derrick rose all day i guess but do you buy this bulls team you know after a win like this as a as a team that we still think that can can legitimately contend in the east
2: yeah let's talk about Freud, Freud, fred hoiberg wow the mayor Frey hedberg uh, froy hedberg is doing a great job in chicago a couple bold predictions i made i said that billy donovan or fred hoiberg would win coach of the year Um, I threw one other guy in there and I can't remember now, but anyways, if the Bulls go on, be the one or two seed in the East, I think you got to give it to them in terms of being a first year head coach. Yeah. They're legitimate. The players that they have, we knew they were legitimate. Like these are guys that could make a run into the playoffs. They could challenge the Cavs. Could they beat them? I don't know. It'll probably come down to injuries. Um, yeah, they're, they're completely legitimate, Nick. Um, but the, the Spurs, we can, you know, it's one thing to put a lot of investment into a win over the Spurs, but, uh, That only becomes true when it's later in the season in the playoffs. I think Pop is willing to concede a game if maybe he's riding his star players too much and he's just like, you know what? I don't want this guy to see this many minutes tonight. We could win this game if we wanted to, but I'm just going to taper off and keep the entire season in mind. We saw Leonard play 40 minutes, but LaMarcus Aldridge plays 33, Duncan 30, Tony 31, Danny Green 33. Like All those could have been inflated. This was a game that was really close and you think that maybe they all could have seen more minutes, so... Um, yes, the Bulls are legitimate, but I wouldn't put too much investment in a regular season Spurs victory.
3: No, and that's the thing. You know, it's The Spurs didn't rest their starters. They didn't start Boban Marjanovic, uh, unfortunately, in this one. I mean, he didn't even see the court. I don't know. Maybe they were throwing this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, still, it was a good win for Chicago. I don't, you don't want to take anything away from it. But at the same time, I think we've learned over the last 15 years now that beating the Spurs in the regular season – you know, it's, it's a nice boost for the team that beats them, but if you're looking at it from San Antonio's side, they could care less. I mean, they're, they're they're well on their way to cruising into the playoffs. Chicago now is home to Denver, home to Charlotte, home to Phoenix at Boston over their next four, so a nice opportunity to pick up a few wins uh, before another long homestand uh, heading into the holiday. They get Philadelphia, Detroit, New Orleans, some very winnable games there too. So I still like the Chicago team. I think some people cooled off on them. They had that, that loss where they allowed 130 to the Hornets and I feel like that was the turning point that was early in the year that was like their fifth fourth or fifth game and at that point people kind of started to think like uh, is, are they going to have that same defensive identity can they still hang with teams but I mean they've won six of their last eight they look fine I think the point guard spot remains a major weakness I think they're going to need to address that at some point I don't know if that involves moving Derrick Rose which is you know, he might be one of the more unmovable players in the league right now who would
2: you want Dennis Schroeder I mean, that's Something the like only that. viable option where I would say, well, like, if you had an option to move Derrick Rose, it would be shrewd. Or otherwise, well, like,
3: I don't want your Terry Rozier's, your Shane Larkin's. Well, no. I mean, salary-wise, that wouldn't work either. They would have to be, there would have to be a lot of moving pieces. I don't know who Atlanta could even send back to match up with that. But I don't know if you necessarily need a starting point. I, I don't even think I don't think Derrick Rose is going to be moved because it's such a hard contract to move. I just think they need to add depth. You can't – if Derrick Rose is going to be in and out of the lineup, which he's going to be, and we know that at this point – you know, you have Kirk Heinrich and Aaron Brooks. Is that really good enough? I think you at least need to add someone that, that isn't necessarily a starting caliber point guard. Obviously you'd love to go grab Schroeder, but that's going to cost you. I don't think the Bulls will be able to pull that off by any means. I think you can go grab somebody. I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a name, just, you know, like your Darren Collison types, not that he's necessarily on the market, but something like that, just somebody to fortify that rotation. Like you're not going to grab an impact point guard right now. You know, Derek Rose isn't going to be able to pull anybody like that, but You can grab somebody to at least shore up that rotation so it's not as much of a weakness as it is right now.
2: The Bulls have a 2016 first-round draft pick from Sacramento, which is actually looking pretty good that they could play around with. Um, Otherwise, they just have a couple of second-round picks. I mean, unless you get a three-team deal with Boston involved, since they have some nice first-round picks coming up, I—I I don't yeah. know. We have talked about this before, but, Nick. A backup point guard, like the backup point guards that you would like to bring to the Bulls, are basically one of, like the best backup point guards in the league, and they just can't afford. Oh, right. that, that complete, right, now.
3: that was just a random example. I don't yeah. think, I don't know if they can get anybody like that, but just somebody. I think they need to address it. That's all I'm saying. I don't think you can get by with seventy percent of Derrick Rose kirk heinrich and aaron brooks that's just not realistic i guess i do have Etwan more he's been all right but still uh not ideal and just quick note on that first round pick they don't they don't just get sacramento's pick not not trying to correct you or anything but just oh, to clarify no, please correct it's me. a it's protected top 10 this year top 10 next year if it's not conveyed by next year it turns into a second round pick so it could end up oh. you know obviously a lot of incentive for sacramento uh to to, <laughs> to kind of tank that one i guess but i mean at absolute highest it'll be 11th <laughs> overall so you can certainly grab an impact player at that point, but I also don't know if it's quite the asset that it kind of looks like it is on paper.
2: Yep, I read that too quickly. Thanks for clarifying that. There's so many freaking little clauses like that. There really where, are. It was where, so hard.
3: You so rarely s- pull the Brooklyn and just trade unprotected first round. Yeah, picks. we're seeing why. Like,
2: and I was the funny thing is I was reading up against that. I was reading up on that last night, and that's where that's kind of coming from. Did you know that you can't? Well, did you know that you can't trade um, more than seven years in advance? And so. Well, you can't trade. You can't trade future draft picks seven years in advance. So right. you're only working within a seven year window. And can't you only trade so many in a row too? Yep, you can't Is trade that back to. Row? Yep, yeah. that's exactly right. You can't trade back to back first round picks. Didn't the didn't the Nets do that? So they have um, next year they get Boston's first or Boston gets the Nets next year first round pick. Then 2017, they have the ability to swap oh, first round so picks. swap, right? And then 2018, <laughs> they get their first round pick. So they're still so rea- getting
3: burned on that swap, too.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think their thought in mind was that they were going to be a good team, and so those draft picks would end up being upper 20 picks. And at that point, you know, maybe it's not a big deal. Obviously, it was a gamble, and they lost. And it's fun to make fun of them now. But you never know if things could have turned out differently with Carnett, Williams, and Paul Pierce. <laughs> I don't know. Like,
3: I remember what was what was. Uh, um, the billionaire. I can, I, I not remember his name uh, right now. Prokhorov. Yeah. What was his quote on the day? It was like, the basketball gods have smiled on us the day, <laughs> the day we traded three first round picks for 36-year-old KG and 34-year-old Paul Pierce or whatever it was. So, I mean, they... They made their run, I guess. Didn't they beat the Heat all four times that year they in the regular bad. season? No, they, they weren't, weren't bad. bad. I mean, like If they you were wanted also... to win a
2: championship that year, then those players were kind of fine. You had Brooke Lopez, yeah, but They were also Williams. like a
3: seven seed, weren't they? Because they, they played the Heat in the first round and got swept.
2: Yeah. It, it, whatever. It was a bad trade. Now it's it was a bad a really trade. really bad trade. <laughs> if you look back on it, I don't know if there were that many people clamoring it was a bad trade. Now it's a horrendous trade, and Boston has a whole lot of assets to work with.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looked great trade for Boston. It just seemed it seemed obvious at the time, and like looking back, it's even more obvious for them to make that deal. at least Let's talk a little Warriors. This is one I, I was glad to be able to catch the the fourth quarter of it after the Bucks game ended. Warriors 106, Jazz 103. This is the closest, I think, maybe you know, that Brooklyn game at, towards the beginning of the streak was the closest that the Warriors have come to losing, but this was right up there. I mean, the Jazz had the ball. Down one with I think they inbounded with like twelve seconds left. Or it was so. tied
2: with the going into the they last minute good of the game look
3: too. I mean they're down one. Rodney Hood came off a screen and had a wide open uh, wing three a pull up shot. Maybe not quite the the guy you want taking that, but it looked good off his hand and rimmed out. Uh, ball was tipped. It looked like Utah was going to control the rebound. Gobert was there and Curry kind of snuck in at the last second, snagged it. Of course, hit the free throws and, and Gordon Hayward wasn't really able to get off a good look at the end. But yeah, I mean this was. This team is certainly beatable. We know that, and even even with Steph Curry hitting clutch shot after clutch shot in this one, he ended up pulling up on the possession that allowed Utah to get that final chance. Curry pulled up and barely drew iron uh, on, on a pull up three, and what in hindsight kind of looks like a bad shot, but it, I mean it's Curry him. like there's really no such thing as a bad shot. So, I mean, what is the formula? I guess I'm putting you on the spot here because I'm sure you have the answers. <laughs> not uh, even the we best all, we all know the answers right? What is the what is the the formula to beat this team? I mean, Golden State hit 14 three-pointers. They shot almost 50% from 3, but they only took 83 shots. Excuse me, 82 shots. I think is that the is that kind of the the thing to do here is not just let no. them get out and run and you know Nick, get to 100 Nick, field goal attempts. Nick, stop it.
2: Like we're not even – let's not even try to play X's and O's here because they can win on all facets. The reason why they're going to lose a game is because they're going to be in a really cool city, stay out too long the night before, come in, have an off-shooting night, and the Knicks or somebody like that will capitalize. Like, there's no X's and O's, let's try to beat these guys. We've heard the best minds in basketball talk about it, debate about it. And whatever you want to say, we just haven't seen any implementation of it work. There's just not a squad out there that can match up with them and defeat them, given the best strategy out there. So if I'm looking at why they're going to lose... We have to go off the basketball court. We're going to say maybe they're mentally stressed. Maybe, you know, they're in a cool city. They stay out too long. And Porzingis and Carmelo Anthony combine for 70 points. Like, it's going to they're be not, something. They're not like the that. team that
3: gets out and stays out too long. They want this, though.
2: I know, I, know, I know they want it, but it's going to be something like not fun to talk about. Like, nobody, when they lose, nobody's going to be like, I told you, because there's going to be five previous examples where it didn't fully work on whatever strategy you'd like to talk about so like we can we can beat it to death but it's going to be something very superficial where they just like or curry gets hurt like that's how it's going to happen
3: yeah I I mean that would be obviously the kind of the worst way for it to happen with you know curry going (laughs) down uh, well even like Harrison Barnes going down it's a big piece it's a starting it's a starting guard for them so yeah I mean it's it'll be interesting it's going to end at some point I think we all agree on that I mean they're not going to go 82 and 0 but over the weekend I had a chance to listen to Zach Lowe's recent podcast with Shane Battier. I don't know if you've caught that. yet. No, it was I haven't really, really yet. interesting. And Shane Battier is an awesome guest, no matter what you're talking about. But he has the interesting perspective of being on that Rockets team that won 22 straight uh, back in, I don't know what it was, oh six oh seven something like that, maybe even later than that. Um, and then also on that Heat team, of course, that won 27 with LeBron uh, back in 2012-13. So, you know, Basically, Zach Lowe brought him on. Is like, what is what is this team thinking? You know, and Badge had an interesting point and said that with the Heat, he said Eric Spoelstra never once brought up the streak, which is not surprising. You know, obviously we don't know Spoelstra, but it just seems he doesn't seem like somebody who would care about that at all. And he he said the Heat didn't talk about it. You know, it was kind of a he's like they'd never say streak. They would say like, let's keep this going. You know, we know we're playing well. Let's keep it going game to game. It was never like. He's like, we're not looking ahead of the schedule. We're not saying, like, oh, win, win, win. Oh, this one might be tough. You know, it's, he's like, you know those things. You you know who you play. You know who's going to be tough, but you're also, he's like, we never got together and said, hey, guys, let's try and, let's try and beat this streak. But I feel like Golden State's kind of on the opposite end of that. (laughs) I feel like, I mean, I I don't have any insider info, but don't they seem like, I mean, they're aware of it. They know. I think why, if you're, if you're a player, why would you not want to, to kind of make that your goal? I, I guess the one thing that Badia brought up is like, there's some guys who would say, you know, you should rest Curry if you're going up against the Lakers or rest Thompson and Curry if you're playing the 76ers. Then you start bringing in that risk of what if you lose this one? But I don't know. I, I think I think it's going to happen at some point. I think it's interesting that that there's that kind of one or the other. You either don't talk about it or you got to go for it. And uh, I think the psychological, um, you know, just kind of the wear and tear, I guess it takes on your mind to be that focused for that long, I think can have lasting effects. And that's one of the things that Battier brought up too. He said with the Rockets, like, we went on that 22-game streak, we get beat, and then they dropped, like, four or five of seven or something like that. He's like, we just didn't have it anymore. He's like, you kind of lose your mojo, and then you start worrying, like, oh, is it just a fluke? I think the Warriors are a little bit different than that Rockets team because that really wasn't, like, a good Rockets team, was it? They
2: didn't win the championship. Well, no, so. I, mean, they,
3: I mean, Batty, I think, he even mentioned that. He's like, they were out of the playoff race when the streak started, and then they only climbed to, like, fourth or fifth.
2: Yeah, it was a bigger thing for them not to talk about it because it was abnormal for them to be on that streak. So with the Warriors, it's it's more of like, do an interview after the game. When are you guys going to lose? How can people beat you? Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's talking to them about that, and everyone's very upfront about it. They're not the type of organization that's going to necessarily shy away. I mean, they're doing it without their head coach. But at Hornets, at Raptors, at Nets, at Pacers, at Celtics, at Bucks. if there ever was a time for them to wear down mentally um, – it's going to be in this next stretch of games. And they might end up losing to the Celtics just in Boston, not because they're worse or because the Celtics be, be, put a good game plan together, but because they've played like five straight games on the road in a span of 12 days or something like that. So uh, it's well, going they, to be I mean, something. Coming
3: up, their schedule heats up really quickly. I think they, they go on a seven-game trip. Um, let's see. Well, they started the seven-game trip last night, so they're at Utah. They have seven at games in the next twelve days, right? And all they played the last night, all on the road. Yeah, um, there's a, a couple back-to-backs. That they play, let's see, yeah, they play Tuesday, or excuse me, they play Saturday, Sunday, uh, at Toronto, at Brooklyn, Tuesday at Indiana, at Boston, at Milwaukee, on another a back-to-back is- to, back to close that out. So maybe the Bucks will catch them on that the final Jeez. night of that road trip on a, on their second back-to-back in twelve days. I just, yeah.
2: I think it's probably going to happen in this span of games, and of course we can just keep saying it, and eventually we'll be right. But like I said, Nick, it's going to be on back-to-back games where they, you know, they're traveling from Toronto to New York, or they're traveling from, uh, look, like yeah, they're going from Boston to Milwaukee, back-to-back games, and it's the end of that road trip. So if the Bucks get them. They'll get them. It won't be, like, super exciting. It won't be, like, a massive showdown between the Cavaliers on Christmas Day or something like that. It's just going to well, be I was like, going to ask you about that. What if they go in, like— oh, As a hope, fan, are you rooting for them to I go into hope. that game
3: 28 no home I to the I will cancel Cavs.
2: all my Christmases that for
3: that That could be day. the debut of Shumpert. It could be the debut of Kyrie. Oh.
2: oh, it would be awesome. I think if that happens, we need to cancel our Christmases. Oh, I already to told move- my family I wasn't going to yeah. uh, it's a family Christmas. Go rent a movie theater and do this thing right and just kind of spend the whole day— <laughs> Uh, just waiting for that game to happen. It actually, would be a great idea. I hope that the Bucks, Celtics, Pacers, all those teams just kind of concede, so they'll just let it happen for all of us.
3: I highly doubt that'll be the case, but you we'll see. Know. I mean, never know. That Toronto game on Saturday, I think, is one that sticks out. Adam Wolf, our, our one of our NBA editors, said he thought it's going to be the the Charlotte game tomorrow. I, I don't know about that. We'll see. I, I feel like the chances that they play two close games back to back just seems crazy to me. You know, this Warriors team, like, they can't get almost beat twice. Like, that's the point that we're at with this team they're that good and we can gush on 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 and on about them all we want but um all right let's look at other games from monday night as i bring up my list of games here that is taking a long time time. i'm just gonna keep killing time time. and you know this is just great filler mavericks 98 kings 112 with a big win at home mavericks now fall to 10 and 8 kings scorching at 7 and 12 um of course Guess who had a big performance for the Kings? DeMarcus Cousins. Plus 24 for him in 38 minutes. 31 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, and a block for him. Just two turnovers. A guy who turns it over a ton, uh, especially for a big man. But you know, huge performance from him. 20 points from Rudy Gay. 21 from Rondo to go with only 5 assists. Which just is an absurdly low number from what we're used to seeing from him. I guess these days, Darren Collison played well off the bench. Um, that's future bull, Darren Collison. Fifteen points for him, <laughs> ten points for Caspi. Mavericks just looked a little overmatched in this one. You know, I mean, it was it really was close for most of the game. They led at the half, but Sacramento uh, kind of blew them away. Thirty-six points in the fourth quarter for these Sacramento Kings. George
2: Carl is going to get this team in shape one way or another. I don't care that he has, you know, relationship issues with Cousins. You never know when relationship issues will surface with Rajon Rondo. It seems to happen everywhere he goes. I was expecting more out of Rondo last night with a revenge game against the Mavericks just because of their checkered pass from last season where he quit on them during the playoffs. you think that maybe he'd have a little more something to show. He plays 30 minutes. One interesting thing... With his Kings team is DeMarcus Cousins taking the three-point shot. He's been very good, but he shot one from eight last night, and he's slowly but surely brought up his overall field goal percentage. Right now he's sitting at just below 45%. But that was something that was really troubling for me. Is yes, it's awesome for this double double, this perennial double double guy to add a three pointer to his game. In terms of nine eight categories, is too many eight pointers is three too many, or is <laughs> yeah, it's way too many. It's probably five or six too many.
3: And he's um, gotta stop taking those eight pointers. He's
2: gotta stop taking those eight pointers. But he's found a way to kind of surf this, surface that out, and he's moving into top four fantasy consideration if he wasn't already because of that three-pointer while maintaining a, a, a nice field goal percentage at 45%.
3: He's always been a guy that's a little bit low from a field goal percentage, what you would want you know, most power forwards. Out you of want your power, centers are right, power or you forwards. You want hovering yeah. around or over 50%. You know, I think we've seen some guys that have been so efficient, you know, LeBron shooting 56% or whatever it was a few years ago. Like, you can't match that. He's but I mean, right at league average, he's a 46, which is... Right. I mean, Cousins is a 46% shooter for his career, which considering how many tough shots he takes, how much attention he gets from defenses, it's not the worst thing. But I think I'm okay with him hovering around 45, 46 this year if he's attempting four three-pointers a game because, you know... He's shooting at a thirty-four percent clip, and that's fine, right? I mean, that's if if a guy for for a guy who really hasn't shot three pointers before, I think it helps you know take a little bit off the defense, just because you have to respect that a little bit more. There's not a ton of other options on the Sacramento team the way that they're built. They're a very unique team to defend. You know, Cousins in himself is is a matchup nightmare. Rudy Gay kind of gets labeled as a chucker, but. How do you kind of mix that in with Rajon Rondo, who you have to defend really unlike anyone else in the league because of his skill set? So they do present some matchup troubles, and I think Dallas found that out last night. But it's good to see Boogie sticking with the three-pointers. You know, this was, this was like a big storyline the first couple days of the season, and, you know, it was like, is he just going to feel it out and then kind of stop shooting him? Like Blake Griffin, you know, two years ago, I think it was, or maybe the beginning of last year, was shooting a decent amount of threes, and then that just kind of stopped. But Cousins is chugging along. They <laughs> won for eight. There's yeah. no conscience whatsoever.
2: Yeah. No, it's 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 fun to see. Why I was concerned, first five games of the season for him, he was shooting, let's do a quick tabulation, forty percent from the field. And so that's, that gets you into the troubling category when you're looking at your front court options. Maybe some redeeming or saving graces that he shoots 79 from the charity or 70, yeah, 79 from the free throw. Obviously, he's a top five guy. You're gonna plug him and play him if he decides to shoot eight threes or not. He's a guy that you're stuck with forever for the rest of the season. So, um, but it is fun to see a, a great player just add a completely new wrinkle to his game. Like not even like do one thing a little more, a completely new wrinkle.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of guys do this, but like I said, a lot of them don't stick with it, or a lot of the time it doesn't actually work They don't do it eight times in one game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not only adding a wrinkle, he's just <laughs> going full bore. <laughs> it's a Whether fold. Whether or not, yeah, yeah it's, I don't even know. What's above a wrinkle? Like a, a fold. <laughs> like a fold. I yeah, don't know. he's added a new fold to his game. Clippers 102, Blazers 87, Clippers continue uh, to kind of go up and down I guess through the beginning part of this season but they now sit at 10 and 8 the Blazers down to 7 and 11 just 3 and 7 on the road Damian Lillard only 17 minutes in this one left with an abdominal injury he's now questionable sounds like he seems like the type of guy who would be a game time call a lot of the time and that's probably what it's going to be on Tuesday night uh, but looking at the Clippers DeAndre Jordan tied the NBA record for missed free throws with 22 but he had a career-high 12 made free throws also true. Um, I'm assuming 34 attempts is probably a career high as well. I don't know. Dude, it would have to be. Uh, I guess we'll 34 to- is an absurd
2: amount of free throws. It is incredible. And this was one of the longest games of all year. Two ou- two and a half hours, two hours, 32 minutes. Really, that's the longest one. One of the longest ones huh. of all of all year. Yeah,
3: I mean, obviously that the, the hackout started pretty early in this one and Doc Rivers was of course forced to answer questions about it after the game, which he never likes to do. But eighteen points, twenty-four rebounds, two blocks, an assist and a steal, twelve of thirty-four from the line, just three of six from the field for DeAndre Jordan. So I mean I think we can I assume that you don't like the hacka? Does anybody like it? Does anybody say like, oh great, they're starting to hack DeAndre Jordan. Here we go.
2: Well aesthetically no, but coming from a gameplay, if if it's within the rules to do yes. it here's the thing. The last time that the Clippers played the Trailblazers, the Trailblazers did this from when they were behind and it worked. So for somebody to say, "Hey, don't do that. It's boring. It's you're not going to win." They did it and it worked, and they won the game because no, of it. I agree with so. you. There,
3: the teams are not obligated to make the fans have fun. There's o-
2: exactly, and there's only like five guys in the league where this affects, and so we can't make an entirely new rule. Uh, Doc Rivers, he even said that after the game. He said this only affects a few players. It sucks, but it just affects three guys. You can't change an entire right. league. And they won the
3: game. That. You know, it's like you, right. It's no fun to play in. You know, as a as either an opponent or as a teammate. You know, the game is so slow, it's probably hard to get in a rhythm when you're marching to the free throw line all the time.
2: And um, he took, all right, so in Detroit's game, they did this as well, um, where Houston started to hack Drummond. And you know what Van Gundy said, he actually took Drummond out of the game, whereas DeAndre Jordan stayed in the game last night. The difference was, and I thought this was really interesting from Van Gundy, he says, not only, you know, does it, not look good for us or we don't get a lot of points per possession on offense when we have Drummond at the line, but the other team, they get to rest on defense. They're not playing defense and then go and playing offense. So essentially they're playing offense, resting, playing offense, resting, playing offense. And so that played, he said, maybe more of a factor than the fact that Drummond can't make enough free throws to, you know, leave him in the game. So I thought that was an interesting new twist and new way to look at this hack or whatever.
3: Yeah, Drummond is what now like 6 of 31 I want to say from the line over his last two games. He got off to such a strong start. He was shooting like 70% through the he first He would be four an MVP candidate games. if he if he, you yeah. know, could shoot free right. throws. And that's I mean, he's he's not going to win the MVP for for sure, but I think he'll be an All-Star this year oh yeah and that's he, what we'll do next podcast we've, we've been talking about you know adding in some wrinkles some folds some folds to baby to not podcast. wrinkles and yeah i want to i mean it's never too early to start talking all-stars especially in the east it's going to be really interesting this we can
2: year. do our way too early end of season awards
3: predictions yeah. uh next let's next do our Tuesday. way too early. we'll predict the awards for next season whoa oh. or we can do like 2022 hey, let's
2: now. just like the uh you can't trade seven years we need to seven years from now
3: okay yeah, I mean, we can. If you have any ideas that you want to hear us banter about, we're more than open to them as well. So and hopefully you, they don't sure involve fashion.
2: Hopefully that's the last time we talk. No, I'm already. Fashion.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted about just a few minutes ago about the code and DVR. Just continues to slander me. I guess. It's, guess it's libel if we're doing it on Twitter. But yeah, uh, I guess we'll see how funny it is when a workplace harassment suit comes his way (laughs) um yeah other notes from this Clippers uh Blazers game not much to talk about on the Blazers end of things CJ McCollum rough game for him 415 from the field but did have 10 assists a guy who was on the ball a lot in college and is a really good passer but hasn't really translated to the NBA quite yet His assist numbers haven't been great and a lot of that has to do with playing alongside Damian Lillard who's so ball dominant um but that's what happens I guess when Lillard only plays 17 minutes it was McCollum for you know all of the second half really and this team doesn't really have a backup point guard they have tim frazier he was the d league mvp last year he only played nine minutes in this one so i guess you know take that with a grain of salt or whatever you want to say but i don't think they necessarily trust him you know right now in an nba setting so it's you know if lillard ends up missing some time with this abdominal issue we don't know what it is um you know i think he's certainly a strong play in daily i know i'm going to definitely recommend him on nba tv tonight
2: yeah, for sure. Um, I saw some places that it was an illness, so maybe it was like a stomach, stomach, yeah. We officially on RotoWire we have abdomen, but of course that can mean illness. Um, oh, we do have illness now, so okay, sounds good. like an ab. ab right, you know, nothing what, to be worried about. That. Nothing to be worried about. Where it just should just pass over. Nothing like where you tear and it's hard to move your the core of your body. Mason Plumley really surprised me. We've talked about him a lot, Nick, but he came in with ten points, thirteen rebounds, two steals. Really, uh, five five power or power fouls, personal fouls. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would love if they were like power, power fouls, fouls and like non-power Ticky fouls. tiki tack like. fouls,
2: yeah. Um, <laughs> after the game, he had some great comments just where it made me think that, you know, he really understands the game. He said that they should have been hacking DeAndre Jordan earlier in the game. So not only did he defend that, but he said, you know, if we would have done it earlier, we might have had a different outcome. He said some other stuff I was really impressed with. I just like him overall getting a double-double in just 24 minutes of action.
3: Do you think teams will ever have start rostering like a foul specialist? If you're playing the Clippers, so like you have, NHL,
2: like, where you have like one of those whatever they're enforcers, called, Enforcers, they're enforcers, right? I don't, where they're literally I don't do the hockey. they're literally employed just to go out there and start fights or hit people.
3: Right. I mean, that's basically what Ron Artest was from 1999 to 2004. But I mean, I'm, I think. This, is, this guy wouldn't necessarily be trying to start fights. He would just be like really good at fouling, like super quick. Like you can follow whoever you want, like fouling specialists, just like really clean fouls, fundamental fouls. Okay, um, this is uh, – This could be like a late career Tony Allen type of thing.
2: Yeah, so I think that we might want to save this. Maybe we should just tease this because we should probably just go through who we think the enforcers already are. On each team. I'm saying Pat Connaughton for this Blazers team.
3: No. No? Well, I guess he was a pitcher at Notre Dame, right? He probably brushed a few guys back on the mound. I'm just saying that... The teams are already That's built like the in defense guy guys. Said <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, most teams at the NBA these days are just aren't guys like that. I mean, we, I think it'd be more fun to Matt like. Comb, it would be more fun to comb through like rosters from two thousand one, and then yeah. we'd, there'd be like four choices per team. <laughs> like you look at like the O one Knicks. It's like, geez, uh, <laughs> could they all be enforcers? I don't know. I mean, you got uh, maybe not O one. It was it like ninety eight? Like Spree, Larry Johnson, Anthony Mason. Like any one of those guys, take your pick. But well, I will say that it um, too clean. I, I've already seen a case where the
2: enforcer for the Mavericks was Salem Majiri, whatever that guy's name is. He's a center. He was on the court explicitly to foul DeAndre Jordan. So,
3: well, they cut th- Samuel Dellinbear. So I guess right, Zaza Pachulia has got to be up there too.
2: Uh, yeah, Jeremy Evans. I, you know, there's there's enforcers in the, the league. Bucks. We just yeah. need to uncover them and unearth them and let the people know who they
3: are. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. I, I just I just think there aren't as many as there should be.
2: Memphis Grizzlies the starting if you, five. If you
3: like tried to do something that like an, a quote unquote enforcer would have done fifteen years ago in the league, you'd get like a ten game suspension. That's the problem.
2: Kendra Perkins did it last year in the playoffs to Jay Crowder, hands right to the neck. Right. Kendra well, Perkins is your typical enforcer.
3: How, how many? Oh, sure, absolutely. He's yeah, he's the model I think right now. Who? How many years ago was it when when World Peace slash Panda's friend slash Art oh. got Harden in the neck? That was, I mean, he was still on the, on the Thunder at that point, oh, right? I mean, that, yeah. was, that had to be like 2011. I was,
2: I was belligerent about that because I was just die hard. Don't take my cars out. And then I've been playing rec league basketball and, and situations like that have come up now where somebody actually fl- now where someone actually where are you playing? flew their Princeton Club. Where they flew their elbow, but it was more like a nudge. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see why that would happen. And a guy like Ron Artesto.
3: It is just honestly kind it. of amazing that things like that don't happen more often, right? I mean you got guys who
2: The problem is that everybody's buddy buddy in this league now. They all grew up playing yeah, AAU, they all know true. each other, they're friends on Twitter. I don't whatever. know if that
3: necessarily matters though. I mean, you can get you, you hear about fights in practice. It's like I almost think that that might make it you know you've been in the league for a while you're basically there are 30 teams and there's a lot of games but you're playing the same guys over and over and over you know and it you know there's certain guys that get on people's nerves and i honestly think the level of basketball and what's all at stake here it is impressive to me that there's usually only like one or two scuffles per year these days
2: i suppose like if you look at the nfl but there's it's more physical i suppose you usually see you know pushing and shoving
3: right or even like guys getting taken out on like a fast break you know a hard foul like That's the one thing to me that's, like, it's justified. If you get, like, undercut when you're going up for a layup, rules are off. I mean, no holds barred at that point.
2: Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen any, like, broomsticks being taken out to the court. Like, I'm in favor of that. That would be fun. Yeah, you pull chairs out of the crowd. Yeah. The thing is that I think that everyone's just good friends on and off the court for the most Uh, part. It's more of, like, which one of my friends can play the best today?
3: No, I don't know. I think I, I don't really know know, every team in the league or locker rooms like that or anything but I don't think there's like everybody's friends I think you know you have a couple friends you know you know guys on each team even on your own team you're probably not friends with everybody I think that but I think there is also a mutual respect of you know this is your job this is your livelihood this is my job I need you know this is my income if I go out and commit a dirty foul and you know you lose a year or two of your career I don't want to do that because I wouldn't want that to happen to me so I think there is a respect and I think the same goes for football I mean you see a guy even when Gronk went down the other night for New England, you know, thankfully that didn't end up being too serious. But you had guys from the other team coming over and nobody wants to see that.
2: Yeah, and I think everything's out in the open these days. It's not like where you show it like you show up in LA, you're there for one week out of the entire year, you go in there and just you're mad at everybody, and then you leave and you go to the other end of the coast and you never see that guy until next year and you play him again. And so I, I think that that plays a part of it. Nick, me and you could just go on and on about like social media and what that means for people reactions and how they perform and act in the public eye, um, because we, we spent a lot of time going over that in college, but it just Things are different these days, and you're not going to see it because it lingers too much. And everybody knows that you're type of that you're that type of person. It's not like where one viewing audience, like only the Indianapolis TV viewing audience, saw that fight. It's everybody in the whole world knows that, and it stays with you forever. Um, yeah, I mean Chris Paul like knocked a guy in college below the belt, and we know about it forever.
3: Yeah, well that just came up yesterday.
2: Wait, did he do it again?
3: No, no, no. He didn't do it again, but. Uh it was julius hodge one of my all-time favorite college players nc state um he was actually he was actually a buck for a brief period of time i remember being really pumped about that basically he signed a d-league contract and was gone like a week later this was i mean he, this was a while back he played chris he was contemporaries with chris paul in college so early 2000s um yeah chris paul didn't play we didn't even note that when we we're talking about this clippers blazers game chris paul um he left the game i should say 24 minutes right yeah 24 minutes uh, he had the groin injury earlier this month, um, and Julius Hodge, who I think is playing overseas now uh I, like one of the clippers beat writers tweeted like Chris Paul out for clippers with groin injury, and like Julius Hodge I quote tweeted it with a little like prayer emoji <laughs> like, kind of like a payback you know and i don 't think he's i don't think he meant it maliciously or anything, but I mean this was a legitimate like shot to Julius Hodge Chris Paul ended up getting suspended i mean i don 't know if you remember like he was labeled like a problem this because was, of this going yeah. into the NBA, and he hasn't really done anything that bad in the NBA, but it's kind of manifested, you know, in his, his fiery personality. It shouldn't really be that surprising.
2: If this happened when he was at Wake Forest now, like with, with Twitter and all this stuff, it would be a way bigger deal. Like people actually do forget that that happened. That, that was he a big was, deal. It was, I mean, he just, he went for it. Could you imagine doing this someday? I, just, I can't even imagine doing it. It is kind of
3: crazy. Yeah. that. he What did he end up going third or fourth anyway? Yeah. Yeah. and And even at his size. Yeah. But we can go on and on. I think it went after Chris Marvin Paul's.
2: Williams. Your weekly reminder that Chris Paul was drafted after Marvin after Williams. After Andrew
3: Bogut. That was yeah. the year the, the Bucks were graced with the number one pick. The year after LeBron. <laughs> uh,
2: word from our sponsor before we get out of here?
3: Yeah, yeah. Again, we're sponsored by DraftKings.com. They are the leading source for fantasy hoops. You can be a part of all the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official Daily Fantasy partner of Rotowire. With Daily Fantasy, you don't need to spend more uh more time micromanaging a roster you can play whenever you want you can pick a new team every time you play you can challenge your friends in a custom league to prove that you are the superior gm or you can square off against basketball fans from all over the country or even the world for big prizes You can go to draftkings.com now enter that promo code roto hoops that'll allow you to play free with your first deposit draftkings again the official partner of rotowire and again that promo code is roto hoops so you playing on draftkings tonight Oh yeah, I I find it hard not to play every single night. You, uh, you know, I try to moderate it a little bit more, you know, just because try to be a little more responsible with the funds. But no, we we both did well in a in a DraftKings sponsored contest that we had a couple of weeks ago, and uh,
2: we got to get that back going again. That was fun.
3: Yeah, that was fun. I don't know. I think there was some some issue with our our contest like not syncing with with DraftKings as they should. But it sounds like. Um, We're going to get those figured out in the next couple of weeks here, and hopefully we can start running some more listener leagues because that was a lot of fun. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it it is fun. I like being able to create your own little – sub league i guess you know and and invite people that you know it's a lot more fun to to play with people you know than you know kind of random people but yeah we were kind
2: of yeah the night yeah we were kind of texting back and forth uh, that's the fun what's going on and it's it's like a season-long league ballooned and or not ballooned but shallowed into one night and it's it's, it's, it's so much fun
3: it's like what they show on those commercials and like i'll be the first to admit i was like feeling a little bombarded by the commercial and it's like okay, like, oh, you're just having yeah, so much fun with draftings, but it's like, that's, I'm literally sitting at my house, like, texting you and James, yeah. like, I'm these guys on the commercial. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. So, yeah, I mean, lots of fun. Obviously, go play on there, and hopefully, like you said, DJ, we'll get those listener leagues back up and running.
2: that two, All right, uh, we hopefully we will. Last thing before we leave, that 2005 draft, number one, Andrew Bogut, two, Marvin Williams, three, Darren Williams, four, Chris Paul, five, Raymond Felton.
3: Oh, that's national champion, Raymond Felton. Yeah. to you um so that was i guess that was the year two years after lebron I, I misspoke there but the year after the dwight draft uh the bucks had the number one pick and got dwight 2.0 and andrew Bogan. uh but yeah looking at that um that Good north draft. Carolina championship team was like unbelievably you know, like that was just one of the f- most fun teams you always remember and like pretty much flamed out in the league i mean raymond felton at Shawn five may. overall sean may at 13 rashad mccance at 14 yeah um who else i mean that that was one of those teams that just seemed to go like Five or six deep, uh, with NBA type of players, but well, even you know, I guess Marvin Williams. I mean, he was he was the sixth man on that team and was the highest drafted. So, kind of interesting how that worked out. And it, it was kind of mirrored with the their other championship team, which I think was 08. You know, Ty Lawson ended up being a really good NBA player, but like Wayne Ellington has kind of been middling, and Tyler Hansborough is, you know, his career turned out, I guess, about what people expected it would. But yeah, very interesting to see how those those really good college teams don't always necessarily translate. Jawad Williams was the last. Jawad, yeah. yes. Oh, notable undrafted players, I should say. So have, Sorry. Oh, well, he he played a little bit for the Cavs, I think, not too long ago. He's one of those guys that like you check a D League box score every now and then. And you're like, oh, hey, Jawad Williams, what's up, Jawad's dog? hanging out yeah. in, in great the to see main Red Claws doing big things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that'll do it for us on this Tuesday, uh, DJ. You and I will be back next Tuesday. I think you'll be on tomorrow with Josh Hayes. I'll Correct. be on on Thursday with James Anderson. So plenty of NBA